Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Financia, host of the main channel podcast, and the host of the Source Financia YouTube channel. Of course, back with another one. Um, in this episode, well, I'm coming to you with this, this intro, is coming to you live from Zambales. So, I mean, we've been in ECQ enhanced quarantine for like two and a half months in Manila and the Philippines as a whole. And some areas are completely open, um, and then some areas are on GCQ, which is the general community quarantine so luckily manila as of right now at least bgc and, and makati and places like zambales are in gcq so decided to take advantage and get outside of the city for a couple days well four or five days uh staying in a pretty nice airbnb here gonna head up the beach it's the first time that wolfgang's been outside of the city so he's gonna wolfgang my dog is gonna have a chance to run around in the beach and possibly get into the water and stuff so it's it's pretty awesome um so in this episode i sat down with renault andron i hadn't spoken to him for like a year he is um the ceo and, and co-founder and founder of sophies.com which is a quality control inspection company but they're way more than that at this stage i think he's, he's pretty much opened up his own factory um so that's we were catching up on on life and business since he was on the po- he was on the last of the podcast like three years ago or four years ago i think it was episode 29 of the made in china podcast supplier qualification services meaning some supplier background check and factory audits to make sure they they are capable you know they're reliable and uh i have been reaching out to a lot of entrepreneurs that are in my space uh especially around because of covid like i want to get their perspectives on how they have dealt with covid and how it's affected their business and things like that so it was it was good to to sit with with renault and, and get a completely different perspective because while he did explore covid19 supplies initially he ended up just not wanting to do it at all because of just all the fakery and fuckery as i like to say involved in that business so he actually avoided most of it and, and has focused on you know, running his, essentially his factory. So the, the, I guess the space that he's in right now, he's working with a lot of ODM projects, um, people that want to do very, you know, let's say smaller production runs. I wouldn't say very small production runs, but people want to focus on design, prototyping, and small production runs. He works with that. And, and I think he mentioned it's a broad spec of different products that he's working on so that's kind of what we talked about we talked about his perspective on covid caught up on business and you know try to figure out how he ended up starting a, a his own factory uh, without further ado enjoy the podcast i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me I haven't spoken to you in probably a year, and then I did. Yeah, the last yeah. time I saw you was probably at the Cross Border Summit like three years ago. Oh, around the yeah, same that time that you was. Yes, yeah, three years ago, roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With mm. with Mike and, and his crowd, and yeah, 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 right, right. Uh, the first year's summit, yes. Mm. Uh, well, you know, been busy, kept going in the right. The, the same direction growing the company just uh, adding you know services and adding to the team and 
still 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 in the area, still China, still ninety ninety five percent China actually. It's mm. amazing. It's been uh, actually we're doing more work in India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and so on uh, two or three years ago, and then still do some work mostly in Vietnam, but we're, yeah, we're recentered a lot around China. So, I mean, obviously, primarily that that time, Sophist was a QC. And I think you also had um, a factory sort of um, evaluation service as well, like uh, to see if oh, where a factory yeah, could, so, could improve and, and their systems. So what, what you yeah. said, you added services since that time. So, okay, yeah. So you mentioned two separate things here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the factory improvement consulting, uh, I'm still a partner in that company, but I, I've, I've had to spend less, much less time on this because my main business, Sophie, has been growing way too fast, way too much. Uh, I, I couldn't focus on two things at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent a lot of time around 2012, 13, 14, 15 on the um, operational improvements in factories because as you and I know, there's a lot of need for that. Chinese manufacturers are at level zero without insulting them <laughs> on, on a, lo- a lot of points. And it has come again um, to be very, very obvious recently with all these PPE disasters, yeah. quality disasters and, and so on. So, I mean, <laughs> they can go fast. They can do a lot of things right, but sometimes um, they they skip the planning phase and they they don't try to design their operations the right way and they don't try to put the systems in place and then when you go too fast and you skip that step then you you know and you don't have the some, some of the right skills and you don't develop the people then at one point you know the the wheels come off the of the car basically so i've, I've spent much less time on that but on on the main business we've yeah we were and we still do a lot of inspections and factory auditing and things like that. Uh, we've also been uh, doing more and more work for companies that develop their own products. Actually, is becoming the main focus of the company. So you know, so we have a um, R&D team, um, seven people now in Dongguan, and a. Um, basically a manufacturing facility for small production runs and, um, you know, prototyping and all these kinds of things. So there's a bunch of project managers also and process engineers and things like that. Uh, So this has really pushed us into a lot of complexity that we did not have to manage before. Uh We would just, you know, assist the supply, the, the, the clients are, you know, our clients, the importers, just to um, to follow up on what their suppliers are doing, try to understand what the risks are, try to set up sometimes some inspections, sometimes some other checkpoints, uh, various ways to, to reduce the risks and keep on top of what's happening. But this has really been going into all the nitty gritty of the product development and the certifications and the purchasing and the tooling and the pre-production runs and the pilot runs and all the issues and all the troubleshooting and and the production and the issues and what do you do and how do you go back to to where the problems came from to make sure it's fine next time and there's always new problems that come up 
also it's a matter of, of, of doing a lot of small things first and catching the problems and uh, so, you know and, and learning over time because that's that's what we've seen Chinese suppliers not do is that they have some problems but they don't learn from it so three months or three years later it comes back <laughs> so it, it takes a lot of um, a lot of work to to get it to get this into the, the the processes of the company basically so when you said you have like the so the r&d team and stuff like that and, and a little space for small for prototyping and production runs, is there a specific type of product that you guys are niched into or uh electromechanical basically okay so wow uh this week it was uh electrical skateboards that we will help develop and certify and everything and now we uh we made a production batch of that it's um certain kinds of e-cigarettes uh, it's uh, some um, purely mechanical products some 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 pet toys and some um, massage rolling sort of massage accessory uh, it's it's different kinds of, of products like this it's sometimes designing and developing the controller of for example a, a heating blanket or a heating yoga mat or something like that and we uh, obviously we don't do the stitching and all these kind of things but we we, we get we get these parts and then the, the electronics are, are, are developed and, and we arrange for the tooling and the FCC certification and everything and then when everything is there we do the assembly the final inspections the packing and the shipment so you know it's you, you, again as i said a, <laughs> a lot of complexity it sounds like 10 years five years from now 10 years from now you're going to be opening up a, a factory <laughs> uh, well that's i mean we got four thousand square meter already there it's uh and um technically already is a factory people in dongguan seven seventy plus people hmm. yeah yeah we already have like 45 operators doing stuff so when I see small production runs, I mean, it's not, we're not a big contract manufacturer, you know, with, <laughs> okay, uh, line 25 and line 55 are, mm-hmm. are uh, under capacity, what are we doing? No, no, <laughs> it's, it's still pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tiny on, on the Chinese scale. <laughs> is that still under the Sophie's brand or is it uh, different? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a subsidiary of Sophie's, yes. Right. Cool. I- I wish I should have known about this earlier because when, as you're talking, there's definitely been some projects in the last, I'll say, six to eight months that sound like they would have been a good fit with your space. So I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind moving forward. Well, yeah, well, um, yeah, and um, welcome to visit. We're in Dongguan. <laughs> well, I'm, in Guangzhou these days. That's a good question. I was going to ask you, where are you? Because I'm, I'm currently now in, in the Philippines. I moved. Okay. I literally, oh, yeah, literally yeah, I, just, I, I heard I, that. Yes. Yeah, I moved in. Um, well, I was supposed to move in April, but then obviously COVID nineteen oh. happened while mm. I was in vacation in Indonesia. Mm. So I didn't. Mm. I didn't come back to China. I just moved directly to the Philippines right. in February. Okay. So where are you in the Philippines? Because it's, it's a pretty Manila, tight lockdown there. Manila. Ouch. Okay. In BGC, okay. right in the heart Ouch. of the the lockdown. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty serious. Yes. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's. Hong Kong. I mean, the border is still closed. Yeah. So my business partner is is over there in the trenches every day, but I'm uh, following things from a distance, mm. which is not not fun. Just uh, waiting for for the, the the border to reopen. I mean, I was in France February, and, yeah, January and February. Then I came back uh, to do the quarantine here, and then 
I was ready to, to go to China. And then they said, well, okay, that's, that's it. Even if you have a work permit, everything, sorry, it's closed. Mm. You know, so no comment. That's it. That's... What was the quarantine like when you got back to Hong Kong? Um, no, uh, when I came, I could still do it at home. Okay. The, if I had come back, I think one week later, I would have had to go to a special quarantine place. Yeah. Or, or no, no, sorry. So sorry. Should is later, they started to put um, a, a wristband, uh-huh. you know, on, on, on people and then they had to stay home. And if they went out, then I don't know, there's some kind of alarm or something. It was like a, like um, a, like a home, home arrest. Yeah. <laughs> home arrest so, yes, yes, arrest. exactly. Yes. Home arrest. Yeah. Like the prisoners who, yeah. Well, sorry, the, the jail is full, so <laughs> you're gonna stay home. Uh, but you you get to have that on your on your wrist or on your ankle. Yeah. Crazy times yeah. that we're we're in. So, uh, I have a couple, I guess, a couple more questions about the business before we transition to COVID nineteen. So, I think you you're already in Hong Kong at that time. How often are you going back to Dongguan? What what kind? Oh, what, I'm there what, every week. You're there every week yeah, before yeah. the before the lockdown, obviously. Yes, yes, yes. What led you guys into this business model? Because, yeah, I mean, it is, like you said, it's a very complicated, well, very involved it is, business. Yes, yes. So it's the logical continuation of what we're doing. And we were not really planning to do that, actually. But, you know, the company's mission is to help um, our clients set up supply chains with transparency and control, which, as you know, in China can be a long battle. <laughs> so this has led us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into into things and the, the problem is when we do some electronic design and some mechanical design and 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 then we go in we do the prototyping and we work with a supplier to do prototyping or maybe we do some of it ourselves and then the Chinese suppliers that that were helping and also on the the prototyping start to be difficult and then I go with another one that also starts to be difficult because maybe the volumes are not what they expect or maybe now all of a sudden they're very busy so they, they become um, a little bit harder to please yeah or, or they start to they, they start to say yeah yeah okay okay but no i will not tell you the the bill of materials well i mean come on you signed the contract you know it's all about transparency with us oh no yeah but i cannot tell you this because it's really our business secret and these kind of things well at one point we got to say if we have to offer transparency all the way through, I mean, the certain thing we have to do, you know, and, and this client that had serious issues with their um, existing supplier, moved them to another supplier, was great for the first few weeks and then went into all kinds of trouble again. And then we say, okay, you know, so for, we went into two, um, two steps. First step is, we found a, a small factory also in Dongguan that had some extra space that they were not using. And we said, hey, let us rent this space. You're gonna hire some people yourselves and you're gonna reinvoice that to us with your management fee for that. And we're gonna have our production manager there and our, our quality people there. And they're gonna, they're gonna manage this and we're gonna manage production this way. Okay, no problem, as usual works fine you know the first few months and then after that they start to overcharge for everything and then we by that point we said okay you know what we sort of have some systems in place for that let's let's jump to the next uh, the, the the next logical phase which has been 
an enormous time suck uh, for all the management team. Um, would we do it again? Yeah, probably, because it's turned out okay, but it's been an enormous time suck. You have to go through all the, the government, you know, jump through this hoop and, and through this one and through this one and so on. Uh, well, it's fine. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's okay. Things are moving very fast when you have the, the right team. So we've been lucky. That's great, man. Like, I think it's something that I've talked to my business partner about and I've thought about this before is I, I felt like a lot of the, the, especially the trading companies that started, foreign-owned trading companies that started, mm-hmm. let's say, you know, 2005, 2008, 2010-ish, mm-hmm. eventually they got to a stage where they kind of started their own factories, um, maybe on a small scale because of the same reasons that you just listed. I guess I'm very wary about that. I feel like it would take a lot of, of effort and, and work running a, running a factory. And if you're running it on that scale, how, I guess my question would be like, how do you guys charge? And then how does that work in terms of like the overhead of having a space and, and that many employees and, you know, purchasing oh, um, yeah the way raw so materials and everything we charge everything based on the, the the amount of work okay so on the time the time spent so the, the deal with the client is simple you know it's all it's all transparent but so we're, we're not going to play games we're not going to keep things in our pocket just to have leverage over you because you don't know where this critical part comes from and you don't know this very specific, very nice surface finishing that you really like, you know, where it's made because it's so hard to get the same somewhere else and so on. So we don't keep these kind of things in our pockets. However, if we work this way, which is very, very un-Chinese, if I may say, (laughs) uh, if we work this way, it comes with a different way of working. I mean, this is work and the client pays for the work. So there's a lot of a lot of importers who don't want to hear about that, you know, oh no, I just, I don't want to pay for any service. It's all got to be in FOB price of the product. Well, all these people, we don't work with them, period. It's a huge chunk of the market, but it just cannot work this way. So it's got to be people who are willing to pay. Okay. Oh, you design your own product. You're going to pay for all the R and D, but you get all the deliverables right after that. Right. So you can go to another manufacturer. You can request quotations here and there. It doesn't matter, it's all yours, but you've paid for it, okay? You pay for it entirely. So this is not the whereas, typical whereas, OEM or, whereas usually, or ODM. Yeah. Usually the factories would incur a lot of the costs um, with creating prototypes and things like that. Even though they do charge you for the prototypes, the labor and all that stuff is is incurred by the factory, right? So, okay, yeah. So there's two different things. There's development and then there's manufacturing. Development, usually the, the, the Chinese supplier, if they're interested in the project, they will do some of the work for free often. Okay, and then they will say this you have to pay and then the mold you have to pay and this and this you have to pay, but so they work for free. Uh, and they do, they do the sourcing for free, typically, which is why it's very often so poorly done, by the way. <laughs> and there's so many quality issues that actually come from a very, very poorly done sourcing job. Uh, they, they work with the wrong component suppliers and material suppliers, and then it creates all kinds of problems. But they, because they, they they're not paid for it, they have to do it really quick, and and they don't really um, they don't go on site to check. And so I mean, you know, and then they will keep this information in their pocket, as I said, 
so that when the client says, well, maybe I'm paying a little bit too much, or maybe you guys are always late or something like this, the client cannot easily go to another supplier because then they have to, to redo all the work. And because new supplier will say, oh, okay, this is nice, but you have the CAD file, the, the drawings, you know, the, the 3D drawings. No, I don't have it. Oh, okay, so it's got to be done again. And do you have, you know, the tooling? Oh, well, I don't have a contract that I own the tooling. Oh, okay. And do you have the, the PCBA schematic and everything? Uh, no. And the testing stations? No. <laughs> right? So it's, this is how they, they, they lock customers in, right? I'm sure you've seen that many, many times. The way we work is really as a contract manufacturer, not as an OEM manufacturer. Contract manufacturer, okay, all of this is services. You pay, you pay for it, but you get the deliverables. You get the full bill of material. Uh, you get the CAD drawings. You get all these, all these things. You pay for the tooling. You own the tooling. And if you don't want to work with us anymore, we don't want your tooling. Like, you know, yeah. come and pick it up. Yeah, wow. I guess yeah. I guess I was just look, I was looking at it from the perspective of how I usually work with my clients. I think the average person doesn't know that they need to ask for those things to be included in their contracts, and and a lot of times they might not, they might not even sign a contract with the factory, so right. they they don't own the yeah, tooling right. and things like that when they want to move. I've definitely had those situations where clients would approach us and say that they've been working with another factory. And the relationship broke down, and then now I have to go yes. back. I have to go to the factory and ask them to allow them to release the mold and things like that. Like exactly, yeah. So, which is a very uh, sensitive conversation. Yes. Well, my Mike, my business partner, <laughs> he told me one time he just showed up at the factory at a client's factory and just basically. <laughs> Basically, he stole the mold. Like, from my understanding, okay. he's like he just showed up with okay. uh, with a truck and some people, and then kind of forced him his way into the factory. That obviously the work mm. the workers that were there didn't really know uh, what was going on, yeah. and uh, yeah, he was he was able to do that. But you you can't really rely on those kind of situations, right? Either you have to have uh, your contracts in place, or you know. Uh, work, yeah, work, work, in, sure. work with a transparent or, uh, business like yours. Or, or you take the risk yeah. and I mean, sometimes uh, the Chinese model does work, yeah. you know, sometimes it works. I mean, maybe you and I don't hear from people who are happy about it so, so much because they're happy they don't need help. But yeah, exactly. Sometimes it works. Okay. Uh, but, but sometimes that's it doesn't a, that, work. That is a good a point. It's like uh, as, as consultants, we're only hearing from people that have issues, right? Not the ones that are in, uh, <laughs> yeah. not the ones that are happy. Yes, yes. And most of the people who want to work this way with us have had problems, and it's like you know, is there a second time around or the third time around, and they want to get things right this time, right? They say, I want to have a real good supply chain that I control, in which I have transparency and everything, and then that's exactly our message. And that's where it clicks. But if it, the first time they come to us, they say, oh, yeah, no, China, it seems like everything is easy here. It's fine, you know. Well, okay, can't really help you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, just go to Alibaba and go to any factory and, and, and maybe you're right. Maybe it will work very well. <laughs> if they haven't had the experiences that we've been mentioning, it's very hard for them to actually understand what's, what's awaiting them. So, as I said, there's the development and then there's the manufacturing. And the development, by the way, doesn't end at the prototypes, right? Maybe there's certifications to, to, to go through, 
uh, and typically that's after the tooling and then there's still some process engineering work to set up the lines and the work instructions and you know doing a little pilot run and all these kinds of things and, and preparing the testing stations maybe preparing some some fixtures and some go-to-go gauges and so on in in uh, for the assembly all kinds of things like that and there's also a lot of work with the suppliers because often there's one two three four five uh, critical components that need to be followed very closely sometimes it's heck of a lot of money <laughs> that you're paying to these guys and you, you need to be there and, and actually follow up on what they're doing right? yeah and and also if it's a custom part that they're making well do you trust that they will get it right the first time just because their prototypes their, their samples look nice uh it's it, it's a bet you know uh, sometimes it's better to be there when they when they uh when they're doing the production. So there's, there's a lot of work, you know, before manufacturing, just to make sure that it's, it's, it's a low risk manufacturing run from the first time. Okay. Then, then you get into manufacturing. Well, manufacturing with us is very simple. You know, it's, uh, it's how many hours times that rate and that's it. Mm. Very simple. So this gives us the transparency of to, to the client so if the client says well it's you know how can we get it a little bit cheaper okay let us work on efficiency oh yeah we think we could make a fixture here and we think that we could do this here and it's x hours of engineering plus a little bit of cost for the maybe the material or whatever do you want to do it the cost you know the it, it will bring maybe the number of, of seconds spent per piece from whatever, from 50 to 35 maybe. So if you think your volume will be above that, that amount, it's worth it, right? And then if they do it, fine. And the price of the assembly goes down, right? And, and, and vice versa. And then if there's, uh, maybe they picked a supplier and they insisted this supplier for whatever, for the battery, for the whatever critical component that they want to pick themselves to direct okay no problem but hey look they cause some issues here and here's exactly the the extra cost because it's your direct supplier right so this happens also i mean so when you have transparency it makes the relationship much healthier yeah what we don't want is to be like the typical chinese manufacturer and say hmm, well yeah uh, we just got your new po yeah thank you but the price just went up 20%. What's that? 20%? What do you mean? Well, you know, labor is more, is more expensive and the price of the components also. Okay, give me a breakdown. Well, we're sorry. You know, we don't share the, the, the cost breakdown with you. <laughs> oh, so where do we go from there? So it, it just becomes, you know, if you raise the price, I go somewhere else. And well, we're sorry. It's, but look, I mean, it's really more expensive. Uh, and then you never get out of these situations, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, hundred uh, a lot of times. And then my job yeah. there is is to try to convince, because I know, obviously, I understand where the factory is coming from. They don't want to share this proprietary information and things like that. So then my job becomes having to to get the client mm-hmm. to understand how Chinese factories think and work and, and then also getting the factory to understand that it's important that they be a little bit more transparent with the clients and it's always a difficult, right. difficult situation to be in. 
it's very difficult situation yes for sure <laughs> i mean a hundred i'm a hundred percent behind what you're doing because even like with us from the the sourcing company's perspective when my business partner first when i first started working with mike china mike not michael mcweeney mm-hmm. one of the first things i said to him because i was like obviously he had been doing this business for a long time mm-hmm. i was coming at it with more of the you know, I think I was, I was 22 at the time. So I was just coming in with more of like the millennial perspective of like, I think everybody mm-hmm. likes to know, like my generation likes to know everything. And I mean, most clients mm-hmm. as well like to know everything. They want to know how sure. much it costs. They're, if they're, they're learning about sourcing and manufacturing, they're going to YouTube, they're watching a bunch of videos, they're listening to a million mm-hmm. podcasts, they're reading books, they're reading blogs. I, I said mm-hmm. to him, I was like, why don't we bring that transparency to sourcing and the way we charge our fees? Because his business model before was to basically buy and sell to the customer. So we decided they can pay factory direct and they pay us a separate fee. And, and therefore, you know, they know what their costs are. They know that we're not marking up the costs, but we still have consistency. Right. And then, then it becomes a, a situation of if a client doesn't want to work with us, that means that, you know, there's something that we did wrong in terms of the services that we're providing. Um, it's not we're not tied into the factory necessarily and then it also makes us more comfortable with making the right decisions for the client because we're again we're not tied to that specific supplier right so it's much healthier yeah so much healthier so what you're doing is you're going away from that let's make deal i'm getting up and i'm going to make one big deal that you know that will make me a lot of money for this year yeah you know and then with this money I'm going to hurry up and, and, and buy a couple of other apartments, <laughs> uh, you know, which, which has been the, the dominant approach um, of China factory owners over the last 30 years. I, I mean, it's, it's changing, but um, not as fast as we would like. This mm. is, and, and so when you, you buy and you sell and, you know, sometimes you get, a client that's willing to to pay a higher price and you can you can get a really good deal from the supplier you make you make a very loud a very big margin it's sort of every morning you wake up and you need to to go and hunt again right uh, because is this something that will last for a long time yeah um i don't know and uh, and it also just slows down the process because Every, when when we we have had situations where a client said, "Look, I don't want to pay a consulting fee. You guys just this is my target price. How if you guys can make your money from the target price, um, let's do it like that." Mm-hmm. It becomes it becomes complicated because that means that every single time my my staff, my project management team gets quotations, mm-hmm. we then have to review those quotations and and then have to th- figure out what our margins are going to be and all that stuff. And then it, it, instead of it just being they get the quotes and they send them to the client and the client can review those quotations and see which factory they think is, mm-hmm. is, is better priced for them, obviously with our recommendations. So it creates like, uh, it's slower. Right. It's a slower process. It's there's a that's bottleneck right. involved in it. I, I really don't like working like that. I'm sure that sometimes the clients push back at you just because they think you're trying to enlarge your margin, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. Maybe you're trying to cover up something from the factory simply because if the client suddenly learns that the factory is so bad, they will stop the, the whole business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. So you really become the, sa- the salesperson of the, of the factory people, right? Yeah. Uh, which, which, yeah, um, which then means 
the client cannot really trust you. He still needs to to double check on everything you say. And so, I mean, trust actually really makes everything faster, easier, cheaper. And when you do things the right way for people to trust you, then I always say healthy, right? It's a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Things just can flow and we're all part of the same team. And there's, there's a very clear um, rules of the game. You know, the rules of the game are this. We all agree. You're not wondering what we're really doing and how much money we, we're marking up and, uh, you know, on the price and all these kind of things. Things are clear. There's trust. You know, we act in your best interest. Okay, we are aligned. Then found that uh, a lot of people uh, a, few years, a few years ago especially were telling us, yeah, but if you every time you do something, you, you give it to the client, it would never work. You know, a lot of employees, Chinese employees who had been working in uh, sourcing companies, trading companies, uh, factories, they told us, but this model would never work, you know. And well, actually, you're wrong. You're wrong. When the client feels that they can count on us, why would they go somewhere else as long as we provide value, right? So it's, you know... Uh, I'm sure you you you've seen the same, right? Yeah, I mean, even um, yeah, on a small on a smaller scale, uh, when I first started doing this podcast in in 2015, 2016, a lot of people, some of my Chinese friends, and then um, some of my clients actually at the time were like, "Why would you, why would you do a podcast? Like, it it just didn't really make sense to them. They thought that I, I'd be giving away too much of my my secrets or." <laughs> You know, like, right. or that there wouldn't be an audience for it. And I mean, quite honestly, we haven't mm. spent much money in terms of advertising. The podcast has been, apart from, we started a YouTube channel uh, two years ago, but last year we focused on it. But apart from the YouTube channel, the podcast has been the main way that we, we grow our business. Um, and beyond that, it's yeah. also been a way that I've developed business friendships and partnerships and mentors you know people that i probably wouldn't have spoken to if i didn't ask them to be interviewed on my podcast mm. so. totally uh, i mean same yeah same with my blog i mean <laughs> yeah it, it's um i've been sharing so many things there and same thing some people say yeah but you know if you explain to them how to do all of this mm. then why would they pay you and you know the people who want to do it themselves you're only going to do it a few a few times for them because eventually they will know how to do it. Maybe they come and they observe you, maybe whatever. Uh, once they get your report with the template and everything, they can redo it anyway on their own after that. So it's not a good long-term client anyway. So all the do-it-yourself guys, let them learn and do it themselves. And that's great. Yep. Maybe until the time when their, their business has grown and they just don't have time to do it again. And they don't and they, they're not, I don't know, cost sensitive and, and, and then and, and, and they open up and they work with us. And there's some other people who really don't want to do it themse- themselves and, and they will find this and they will say, okay, these guys know what they're doing. Um, I really appreciate they give me all this information. Let me give them something in return, an opportunity to get my business. And that, that's the way it works. And I'm sure it's the same for you. For sure. I have a, my last question about the, the, the transparency and the, the current business model. Do you, where do you see this going? Do you see situations where, you know, people will have like factory floors will have, and I've, I know that there's factories that already have this, 
but like a, a camera that's on the production line that is live streaming a feed <laughs> where, the, where, where the customers can see exactly what's going on in real time and maybe, you know, give some feedback or comments. Like, do you see it going to that level? Uh, some people are doing that. Some companies are doing that. Does it provide value to them? Most of the time, zero. So there's, there's a few things to, to keep in mind here. Uh, the first one, obviously, is do it in a legal way. People who are in the area where there's a camera need to explicitly, in writing, need, need to agree with it. Right? China doesn't have laws about that. The, the second thing is who's going to be standing in front of the screen and, and watch the operations in real time. I mean, I, I, I have come across some people who try to do that. You know, they put the screen on the side and I don't know, they do their email, they do something, and then they watch it also on, on the side. But do they really have any, any insights about that? Sometimes there's a, there's a couple of things that are really, really important to them. And, and then it's their way of, of always keeping an eye and putting pressure on people to always do that, yep. right? Uh, maybe, maybe there's some defects and then they put some, I don't know, a testing station and then there's some defects again and the factory people say, oh yeah, but the people on the line, they, they forgot about it so they did not put every part in the, the testing station. Yeah. Oh, okay, then I will put a camera there and I will check that there <laughs> and then oh, if not, I will call you right away, you know. But this is, this is, I mean, uh, this is the sign that you cannot trust your your, your factory's staff and, and, and policies. Uh, it means that they they are very weak, very weak on the management of the workers. It's a management issue. And it might be a process engineering issue in the sense that, well, if maybe there's something, maybe it's a go-no-go gauge, maybe it's I don't know, something to avoid some kind of quality issue. But if if doing it takes a long time and the workers, when they are uh, under the gun and they have to ship tonight and everything, they attempted to, to avoid it, but there's some kind of process engineering issue. Review the layout, review everything, and see how you can make it so that the workers don't have this incentive to go around it, right? And yeah, otherwise I don't really see any, any, uh, any value for that. Maybe some people say that um, in case they have some kind of rejects, then they go back and they can see the serial number. Maybe there's one photo for every pulse that goes under the, the, the camera and then there's a photo every time and, and they go back to it and then they can say, look, we proved to you that uh, it, it looked okay at that time in the factory, you know, but uh, is it really useful? I, I, I don't really think so. Yeah. So I, I I tend to push back on that and say, oh, just forget it. This is really the sign of some underlying problems. Fix these problems first. What clients should expect, if they have the view over the bill of materials and who the suppliers are, they should know at least the incoming QC results, right? And they should have an idea about the performance of the, of the comp- component suppliers. Okay, this is, this is one basic thing. Uh, and by the way, a lot, if not most, quality problems in China uh, could be caught in the incoming quality control stations of the assembly factory. Okay, uh, so this is a really, really important point. They should have a view over the in-process QC uh, QC jobs, right? 
if there's a lot of failures at this point and if the inspector goes around and sees a lot of problems here, they should know about that. If the factory doesn't tell the customer, just to make sure the customer believes they're so good, you know, <laughs> well, it just creates suspicions. Uh, and that's, again, that's very unhealthy. And they should have the outgoing QC inspection reports, at least for the relatively large batches where it makes sense to have a proper uh, independent guy comes in and, you know, hey, guys from production, where is it? Is it here? Okay, boom, boom, boom. I pick some samples, you know, I do an accurate inspection and so on. And here's the report. And it should go to the to the customer. And sometimes if there are some issues, well, you know, then maybe the report will come out as failed. And then they will say, well, here's our corrective action report. We're opening this, we're checking this up, and here's the re-inspection report. And what is so hard for a factory to do that, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars order? It's nothing in terms of labor. Uh, now, if you expect that for three thousand RMB, uh, forget it. They're never going to do that. It makes sense. Uh, or, or they will charge you some some extra work for that, and it 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 might be substantial per in in, in cost per piece, right? Maybe it doesn't make sense to you either. Uh, but but for relatively large orders, you should have transparency into all of these things. Uh, otherwise, you will always suspect the factory as the buyer, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen a typical OEM manufacturer Chinese? actually send a nice report, QC report to the client and say, hey, oops, we got a problem. Here's what we found and uh, we, we, we're working on it. Have you ever seen that? Um, no, but I, what, I have, what I have seen is, is one factory that we had a, a long-term relationship. They sent us their internal QC report. They didn't send directly to the client, but they sent it to us mm. and they asked us to communicate mm -hmm. to the client that there was a problem that they were trying to fix. That was a, well, that's, that's great. That's been the first and only yeah. time. But we had a really good relationship with that factory um, yes. for like three years. You know, it was it was really good. They were very good at what they did, um, right. and they were able to. They had a good R and D team as well, uh, and, and engineering team. They were able to fix any issues that came up. So I guess the the argument there would be. Yeah, it's like in practicality, nobody's going to be able to, first of all, even just from a time zone perspective, there's not, nobody's going to be able to sit in front of their computer and watch the production of their goods for hours. However, maybe yeah. they maybe they might sure. watch from time to time and see if they can catch something. Mm -hmm. But I think the perspective there would be, like you said, it would be trying to keep the factory honest or at least the, the factory workers honest. And then the bigger thing would be that if something does go wrong, being able to you know, review, you know, the the tape, like if you if you're talking from a sports sports analyst perspective, being able to pre review the tape and and pinpoint, you know, that moment, because like yeah, if you have a production, and then you know that the the you see the issues happened on this specific day, then you can go back mm -hmm. and, and look at that video and say okay yeah this part of the production line that was the issue, and then but, uh, the root cause. No, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just I'm just thinking like from what uh, right. what the logic would be, and then I, from the root cause aspect, yeah. it's like obviously you want the factory to be better managed, but how realistic is it for us to expect factories to improve in that area? I think it's going to be a really long time until. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what I mean on video, what are you going to see? Most of the time is 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 not going to be close up enough. It's, it's certain things that will be off. 
off the field of the camera, for example, oh, there's a problem. Okay, I put it in this red bucket. Okay, what happens after that? It goes to this other bench over there for yeah. rework. And then after that, what happens? Does it go directly into a carton box? Yeah. Does it go back on the line? Does You know, it's very, very hard to have this traceability. I mean, it could be done with high resolution photos, um, you know, and then uh, with traceability all the way to the, um, to the serial number. But for most production runs, it, it's just not realistic. What is, so I mean, the solution is getting the factories to improve on their management systems, but like, mm-hmm. how many factories are actively improving on their management systems? Well, um, I mean, <laughs> this is something, it goes back to the initial sourcing. Yeah. If you, if you work with the wrong people, you know, and if you expect them to become suddenly excellent, uh, you know, you will be disappointed. Um, You know, if you want to work in China with a a manufacturer there and and you pick somebody on Alibaba without paying much attention, then you're going to get, you know, on on average, you're going to get the average of what people get from China. And worse, actually, because you're really not paying attention to, to anything. So you get what you, what you pay for, if I may say that, <laughs> or you know, what, what you deserve because yeah. you don't do your homework. Um, it's, it's a bit harsh to say it this way, but you buy from China, it comes with a set of, of, of risks and constraints and challenges. Yeah, and, and if you don't put the, the right measures in place, well, don't put any production there that is, um, quality sensitive, time sensitive. I mean, you know, th- th- there's a certain way of working for giveaway toys, for example, and, and, and some, some premium, gift and premium products, very cheap. There's a certain way of working with that. And then when you sell um, $200 uh, devices on Amazon, it's another, it's another approach. There's the certain things that cannot be tolerated. Yeah. You get to know your market. Speaking so, of speaking of time sensitive and uh, quality sensitive items, how what's been going on with your business with regards to PPE products and, and COVID nineteen medical supplies? Mm-hmm. So, huh. well, it's funny because in so factory reopened. Remember, there was the, the, this Monday where all the factories could start to apply to 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 reopen and then re. We opened two days after that on, on Wednesday, and I mean the team did a great job, and um, and and one of our suppliers actually was, was already that making was when, masks. That was that back in uh, February or January? February, yeah, yeah, yeah. February. I remember, yeah, I remember one that. of our suppliers, yeah, um, was already making some masks. So and then we bought some masks from them because to reopen we had to have some masks to show to the government inspectors to be authorized to reopen. Were there any um, other any other requirements that they they gave you in terms of like health, oh of course health of course to reopen and, yeah well, yeah yeah of what, course what uh, we, our hr manager had to write uh, an sop the um, we had to give training to the staff we had to tell them not to take the the lift together with other people not you know not to close the windows so <laughs> february you know not very hot uh, they had to work with all the windows open um everybody a mask on at all time they couldn't go to the canteen anymore. They had to 
with to stage the, the times for eating and then they, they had their little box and they would eat it you know without being very close to anybody else uh, all, all kinds of things um, but I, I hope you have video and photos of this I would I would love oh, of course a bunch I would bunch. love to show that in my in one of my next uh, YouTube videos okay sure sure yeah 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 we have some um, videos I'm not sure but photos yeah we have a bunch yep. uh, sure so uh, this this was to, to, to reopen and then so we reopened with this and then we bought enough masks and actually a client of ours had been sourcing masks very nice you know N95 N99 with charcoal active charcoal and all kinds of things so they had some N95s classic uh, that they sent back to China to us which was very nice uh, so um, yeah we could reopen no problem and then we told some of our clients hey uh, we have this supplier here they have a line of masks maybe you want some and it's funny because only one or two clients actually responded and say, oh, yeah, we want masks, you know, <laughs> talk about missing an opportunity. Um, I say, okay, well, uh, trying to give, uh, to, to, to help them, uh, it's okay, forget it. And then we get submerged by a bunch of, um, of requests. So a few key clients wanted to buy masks and then we did buy the mask for them and, and ship to them. So we have the export license, and so we, we added the, these some PPE products to the export license, so we process the export uh, for them. But uh, all the others, we say, no, no, no. Uh, and then especially when we started to see that in April, the rules were shifting all the time, you know, with the, the Chinese customs, uh, we say, this is gonna be a heck of a big, you know, huge problem. We had a shipment for one of these key, key clients that was stuck, and you get stuck for two or three weeks. I mean, the people told us, hey, you're going to have to report to the anti-smuggling department, you know, in China. And uh, we'll tell you what the, oh, the penalty would be. Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. What? We didn't even know about the, the rules that you're telling us about. It's never been documented anywhere. We don't know. We have no clue. But anyway, we, we, we get the goods back. But at one point we thought, hey, this, this was a large quantity of, of mass, a lot of money. And... Uh, maybe we'll never see them, uh, but finally they get they get back and they, they could be shipped uh, after a little bit of repacking. We had to do the, the repacking in a workshop, but that was easy. So, so we did some of that, uh, very time consuming, I have to say. And and then all the other people who contacted us, sorry, sorry, sorry. We can help you reduce your risks, but we're not going to be the middleman, you know, who buys X work from the factory because that's the kind of deals that. The factories were, were accepting nothing else. They didn't want to bother with export. So, you know, buy X work, do the, do the declaration and everything for export and manage the, the transportation and then, you know, and, and take a risk basically because by the time the client says, okay, even if they're fast and send you the money, the supplier might have increased their price by 50%. Uh, I mean, yeah. You, you, you yeah. remember in March and April oh how God. it was. It, it was, was so, nuts. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. We had we had one situation where you know the the nitrile gloves, yeah. So it was um, when we quoted the client, it was six cents a unit, six cents a glove, hmm. and huh. uh, they took pair. like I think yeah, the, yeah they, not even a, not even the pair. It was per oh, glove. Oh, per one. Per, okay. Yeah. Okay. They took, I think they took like two days to send the money. We received the money and it literally was, um, they sent the money, we received it the next morning. The next morning, 
we went back to the factory and the price had gone up to 10 cents or 9 cents a glove. Right, 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 right. Completely exactly. wiped our margins, like everything. It was just horrible. And then we had to go back yeah. to the customer and, yeah. and, and just, we yeah. just told them the truth. We said, look, we can refund you the money or, you know, we can put it right. towards another product. Luckily, they had multiple products that they were trying to source. So we ended up mm. uh, putting the money towards another product. But that happened so many times. Not, not a, the other times we didn't, we didn't actually confirm payment. But it happened a lot of times where a customer would ask us for a product, we'd get a quotation, and then the next day, that quotation would be yes. so much higher. I, I think the same thing yes. happened with the CPE gowns at that time, because mm-hmm. um, the the policy in oh, China, yeah. China had changed where they said any factory that doesn't have the uh, the license to sell medical supplies in China right. couldn't export. Right. Right. And those gowns went from fifty cents, thirty cents to yes. four dollars <laughs> overnight. Uh, yeah, that was nuts. So we 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 didn't really want to um, to get in the middle of all these issues. I mean, it's it's tough because you're trying to help people. You know, people say you know we really need it for frontline workers and da 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 da. da you know, but look, we're legitimate. We're not trying to resell it. You know, it's going to go direct into the hospital, into the right people and stuff. Okay, great, but it's it's um, it's just too risky. It's going to be a lot of calls in the middle of the night, uh, you know, frantic discussions and 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 jumping into a car to go to the factory all the time and and pushing them and screaming and it's just not not what we do. And and this really doesn't build the business, by the way, because it was a short, you know, a two month situation. It's already now coming down, let's say. You know, a lot of people have found two, three suppliers for what they were looking for. There's much fewer inquiries. So that means, you know, maybe there's less of a need. Um, you know, people have sort of gotten organized. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit less insane than it was. Yeah. It's also, also there was, there's so much stock on the ground in the US now. Um, cause I mean, people are buying 50 million units, hundred million units of these products mm-hmm. and shipping them over to the States. So right now I think there's an abundance of stock, but, uh, at the same time, I mean, just seeing the news recently, Brazil is beginning to sh- shoot up. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of other countries outside of the U S that are going to yeah. experience, uh, you know, increases. And then also the U S now that it's reopening, uh, I know that they they have some, laws around businesses needing uh, PPE products to sure. protect their, their employees. And I mean, yes. from what scientists are saying and people much smarter than myself are saying, there's going to be a second, second wave of infections mm-hmm. after, after a month or two mm-hmm. of, of people being back in public. Right? Yeah. Or in the fall or yeah, nobody knows, but it's yeah. certainly a risk. Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a crazy, you know, insane times. <laughs> uh, so we've we've been mostly focusing on providing services, mm. checking the certificates. Uh, we've been doing a lot of explaining to people. Okay, you import this to the US or to the EU. Here's exactly the rules and everything. We've documented all that. Mm. Send you the links uh, on on the website um, because uh, so many people went to this market, but had never been working on anything, um, you know, anything regarding PPE or medical products. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we got thrown into it as well. 
um, and we we hadn't done any medical supplies, but at least I had experience or we had experience with verifying FDA certifi- certificates, mm-hmm. and we understood some of the the CE stuff. But we've we've mm-hmm. had to do a deep. We have my business partner and I like the first I would say first four weeks, but really the first two weeks we basically had to study <laughs> all these medical yes, yes. you know laws and, and rules of you know exactly. try to figure out all the bullshit and, and I mean obviously this is our business so we were spending you know 18 hours a day on this uh, the average person mm-hmm. who got thrown into it and has an inquiry for 50 million masks I think that a lot of people didn't even know how to read the certificates right exactly exactly the people People think, you know, any FDA mention on the FDA website is okay. And then you look at the code and it doesn't, doesn't even correspond to the product. It's a, they just use the loophole. Or you look at something that comes from a, maybe a Polish or an Italian lab and with, with the logo C and they say, oh, we got a C. <laughs> no, sorry. This is not a C at all. Um, you cannot put the C mark based on that. It's a joke. And People were not believing me sometimes when I said that. It's funny. And the Chinese suppliers also, a lot of them knew nothing about that. But they were saying really with a straight face, yes, this is fine. Look, we have CE and we have FDA registration. Okay. Uh, but it's not even for the same product. Or, you know, it's, it's not what you say. Or, or sometimes it was just entirely fake, uh, of course. But a lot of the time it was something that was not corresponding to, to what it should be. But it was something. It was, it was kind of legitimate, but totally besides the point, you know? um, which makes it very hard for some buyers to, to reconcile. Yeah, the whole C, the, the CE thing really, because, I mean, we focused on, on the U.S. Like, that was most of our, most of our business in, in April was in the States. But in May, we've done quite a, a lot more in Europe. So I had to start figuring out the whole CE thing. And uh, what I realized is, you know, the, like in the, the U.S., it's more like FDA. If it's a three-ply level one, two, three, whatever, it's an FDA certification. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. whereas in, in Europe, it was there was a different if, classification if, for the level. Totally. And then totally different logic. Different, yeah, and totally then different, logic. different classification for the country, you know, obviously, because uh, you just assume EU, you think everybody has the same standards. But but yeah, different countries had different <laughs> classifications. So I was like, this is really difficult, very very complicated to to work with. Yes. So you had the Chinese side yeah. interpretation: is it for medical use or not? Yeah. Then you had in the EU, uh, actually PPE is tougher than medical, hmm. and people just couldn't wrap their head around that. Um, and then in the US, FDA is only for medical use. You know, I mean, people just uh, still to this day don't understand a lot of this i'm so, still i'm still learning i'm still learning for sure like we we definitely had to reject a couple clients because i was like i just don't i don't feel comfortable with you know promising that we can deliver the x when i don't know enough about the certifications that are required in your country or or other or other clients we had to spend a week and a half to to evaluate um and learn about the market before we ended up moving forward yeah. Right, right. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So you're saying right now you provide a service for this. So, like for example, uh, I can tell you about one cli- oh, one uh, client we had yeah. um, who'd reached out to us. I think they were looking for products to France, and 
uh, they said they'd actually uh, they actually purchased three plat masks before and they exported it to France, but then got rejected in France, so they had to send the goods back. Um, so in a situation like that, mm. we could send you, you know, if I was the client and I could send you the CE certifications and say, here are yes. three factories, Check it up. three CE mm-hmm. certifications. We're trying to export to France medical, uh, medical grade masks. I think what was the mm-hmm. classification? Like EN, I forget it was the non- EN yeah. one, EN one four nine was, uh, civil. So that's right? for PP. Yeah. Yeah. For that's uh, not, not uh, be careful. Oh, don't say see a civil or medical mm. in the in in the EU it's 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 different. Mm. Uh, it can be PPE for use in um, by by doctors in the hospital, but it's still PPE because PPE protects the person who wears it primarily. Yep. Medical device is, for example, I'm, I'm, let's just talk about the mask, right? Uh, is the three ply masks that they um that they wear, and this is mostly to protect other people from being infected or, or whatever from the wearer. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's the medical device um, directive and, and for masks, it's EN14683, I think. Yep. Yeah. And um, so, and totally different logic and, and it's quite confusing for people. And, mm. and, and some of them can be both by the way. So it is related to the claims. On, on the product, yeah. if there's no claims, well, if it's a respirator, something like an N95, usually it's considered PPE, EN149. If it's a three ply, usually it's medical device. Even if it's going to be used on a construction site, you know, yeah. it's still medical device. So, so yeah, in that situation, um, you know, I can send that certi- cert- those certificates to you, and then you'd evaluate them and sure. come back and. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, two business days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, depends on how many um, how many documents. Yes, I, I was on the website, um, so we'll link it up in the show notes for sure. All right, cool. Besides, besides, obviously the inquiries and and you know, um, you know, helping people verify this information, has this affected your actual business? Because I mean, for for us, for example, we definitely yeah. saw a, a mm-hmm. slowdown in in um, some of the projects that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, same thing. Yes. Um, so when we work on new product developments, it's less less likely to be impacted by something in the short term like that. Uh, so that's that's the good thing. Uh, productions also, as as long as we can um, we can make production, it's been okay. This has not been impacted. Actually, it's been growing um, all through twenty twenty. Uh, because we don't sell to people who sell in retail stores. Uh, we've been lucky for, on that. It's, it's all mostly online. Um, people need the stock anyway. Okay, so we haven't been impacted on that side. Uh, the QAQC business has been impacted quite a bit in February and March and also through April. And it's still impacted because a lot of retailers just put shipments on hold, canceled some orders, you know. So some of our big... Um, Bigger accounts uh, suddenly shrunk the, the business, you know, the, the volume of work that they gave us. Uh, so some of the PPE work, the checking the certificates and and uh, doing the inspections there and doing all the audits. And sometimes not an audit; it has to be called a visit because the factory is, you know, want one doesn't want an auditor to come and bother them. It's 
It's going to be just a visit with a few videos. Yeah, all these kinds of things have helped us pick up a little bit and make up somewhat for the for the void. Um, and now what we see in May is that a lot of people who used to travel to to China uh, cannot, obviously, or maybe they had someone do that, but that someone is stuck somewhere, and so they they resort to service providers like ourselves more than usual so the, the activity in that that department of our company is is, is okay now mm. people are busy where do you see i mean with this the current climate of the world like where do you see things going for the next i'll say for the year like in terms of your business and just um business in china in general oh well um uh, for us i don't see uh, a big impact. Uh, hopefully, things you know they seem to be going all right. I, I, I'm not too worried about that. The, I'm more worried about the the general geopolitical situation. Mm. Uh, I think medical devices and also pharmaceutical products are going to be moved out of China. In you know. Yeah, so and violently a lot, sometimes. A, a lot of a lot of currency countries are gonna don't want China to have this much control right. over the medical products, right? Exactly. Right, exactly. Canada say that, US say that, uh, UK just say that, uh, France is saying something like that. Yes. So apart from these industries, um, I mean the US is really the situation is boiling there. It's it's people are so upset that they're all looking for different ways to hurt China. Mm. So this could lead in many different directions. Plus, it's an election year, so it's going to be more inflammatory than 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 usual. Maybe. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm a little bit afraid. But the thing is, people cannot pull everything out of China. Yeah. Uh, or you know. You have to stop consuming a lot of stuff. Yep. I don't see that happen. No more iPhones. Um, <laughs> so I see a lot of tension. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of tensions, uh, a lot of talk, a lot of rhetoric. But I'm 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 really not sure where it's going. I think, look, Vietnam is already full. You know, the, the fact if you if you have a product, you don't want to be the manufacturer. If you go to Vietnam and you look for a company to do the work for you. It's pretty hard already to, to find some good suppliers. Thailand, it's also not, not, not easy, right? These countries are definitely going to, to get more business, but not that much more because, you know, they cannot grow that fast. They cannot grow their industrial tool that much, the, their capacity. The infrastructure is, is in there as well, even just from a, from a, yeah. from a shipping perspective People. and things like that, just right. getting things around the country. From the factory to the mm. port, you know, nobody, nobody does it better yes. than, than China. Yes, and um, well, Mexico is going to to get more business. Um, Eastern Europe, Turkey, maybe Northern Africa. Mm. There's a lot of countries that are going to benefit from that. But it, I, I think it's going to be great, John. I, I look back, 2008, 2009. Those the big crisis, right? And and then everybody after that said, whoa, look at the prices of China, Chinese products. They're going up 10, 20, 30%. What's going on? Everything has to move out of China. And here we are, 2020. 
China did lose market share in soft goods. It went all over the place, mostly in Asia. Uh, but they actually gained a little bit of market share in hard goods, which is amazing. Um, you know, so now 2019, I don't think they gained. I think they started to lose with the Trump tariffs. Uh, but um, it, it's it's not where we thought it would be in, in, in 2009. We're very, very far from that. Situation really hasn't changed that much. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you just said. Like, I think, you know, to a certain extent, people are going to be, we're still stuck with China. It's going to take a while and also a really concentrated effort to shift away from China, which, which when I think about it, it's like people have a very short attention span. So if mm. let's say, you know, next year things go back to normal and people are going back to consuming their goods and, you know, new latest iPhone, latest MacBook, latest uh, PlayStation 5 mm-hmm. comes out and all that stuff. They're going to, they're kind of forget that this happened. I mean, obviously from, sure. from a political standpoint, the governments will still remember and, and they'll definitely shift some of the, the items that they have control over. But like the corporations, I don't think the corporations are going to, they're just, they're still going to want to work with, the country that provides them with the best price and is the most reliable. And right now I think China is still that country for a very long time because of all the stuff that you, you mentioned and stuff that I've, I've for, said before. For certain products, yeah. at least is the one that will allow them to develop new products the fastest mm-hmm. and have all the network of everything they need around them. It's convenient. Right? It's convenient. Yeah. Um, the one thing that changed, yeah, you mentioned the governments and you're absolutely right. But the one thing that changed is this time, the government saw all the shortcomings of Chinese manufacturers directly themselves, right? When they bought the the, the gowns that that uh, come apart at the seams, when they bought the masks that have holes or that uh, that that completely fail any lab tests, when, when when they bought all these things and they rejected it, they saw it firsthand. So now they are. The ones saying we don't want to rely on China for these type of products. And they are the ones who can put some funding into starting some, some activities at home. So let's see, let, let's see where it goes. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as well. Okay. Um, I, won't, I won't keep you too long. So like we can sort of go into the, the closing, sure, sure. closing questions. Where do you see your company going in the next say three to five years um, assuming that problem things go back to normal next year we'll probably have more activities outside of china we still haven't picked uh, what second country we really want to um, to develop in and have a footprint as an alternative to china but more and more clients are going to push us in that direction i think um so that's that's the one thing i, I can see i think um and and hopefully you know better teams better you know a wider range of skills and better systems and everything i mean always uh grow better right for sure um what about yourself do you see yourself uh living in hong kong still in, in three to five years or somewhere else in asia or back, um, back in europe yeah no i think i think we work on a lot of complex products uh, a lot of them with electronic parts and really i don't see any other country offering what china offers 
so I'll probably still be in, in, in the area, very close to Shenzhen Dongguan. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll probably keep being there, you know, every, um, pretty much every single week, yeah. And I asked you this question the last time you were on the podcast, uh, what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your business? Um, Do you remember your answer from before? I don't, I don't, but I, think, I would say starting, yeah, go ahead. I think your answer was, um, it was talking to, having conversations with the, the people on the ground, like when you were going to factories and things like that, like talking to the actual workers that work in the factories and asking them questions about what goes on. Um, oh yeah, well, for sure. That, that, that always leads to, um, well, not always, but often, yes. Um, sometimes you talk to the managers of the factory, they don't know what's going on. And then you ask the guy, hey, so this equipment is often, you know, going down or creating some defects or, but you know, why, what happens? Tell me. And sometimes the guy would tell you, well, you know, that's because they do this or they do that. And we have all these problems. Oh, okay. Then we know, how, we know what to fix. Right. <laughs> uh, that's uh, sometimes it's, 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 yes, it's a shortcut. Yes. But most people will still go and talk to the, the manager of the process or the, you know, the top managers of the factory or the sales people. I mean, that's the worst, obviously, because they just very often, they're just translators and they try to make sure you don't come in contact directly with the truth. <laughs> right. So uh, that, that's the worst. But if, if you can go past these screens and, uh, and if you can, if you can really observe the process and, and talk to the people uh, and if, if they they're not in an environment of fear, obviously, because otherwise they won't speak. Uh, they, you know, they, they might really tell you the, what, what the keys are. Yes. So do you still think that's, a, that's the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results? Hey, it's kind of a tough question. I don't know. You mm. know, at, at many different levels, th there will be different questions. Mm. Um, we, we were talking before about you know, sharing our experiences with, with, with an audience and and, and getting some business like that. Well, I mean, starting to record your first podcast might have been the one thing that brought you the, the biggest uh, bang for your time, right? If you just look at starting, because yeah. once you start, obviously you don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, same thing for the blog on my side. Yes. yes. Okay. So you can you say, can the, say blo that. the blog. Um, what three books, uh, podcasts, or blogs would you recommend people check out um that you've been yeah so um, reading I, recently yeah last week I, I read a nice book called is it four types of problems yeah i think four types of problems um by I forget, uh, the, the guy's name starts with art a-r-t something i forget art ballet or something like that um and it really it goes it classifies the kinds of yeah, problems um, from the little problems that you have to, to troubleshoot every day and how to approach them and everything. And then all the way to the big problems that, you know, you really need to put a wool initiative behind them. It doesn't necessarily start from a problem, like something screaming at you, but you need to put yourself in back in, um, uh, in, in um, how to say, uh, in question and try to really uh, think of, what could be done differently? That that, that was a really good book, uh, more you know from an operational point of view. Let's say, company culture. I would say. 
generally speaking, some books that have great influence on me would be all the books from uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. So you you might have heard of him for the the Black Swan, but he yeah. wrote an entire series of books about it's basically about risk management and a lot of other topics around that. Um, pretty uh, deep thinker, pretty interesting guy. Um, I don't know. I'll just throw another one. Uh, a good book that I reread from time to time is um, Flow by Csikszentmihalyi. I think it's the, the guy's name is uh, Hungarian uh, by origin. Um, went to the, the University of Chicago for many, many years. Uh, that, that's about, you know, um, positive psychology, as they say, how to keep yourself interested and, and keep challenging yourself at the right level to, to, keep, to, to keep your mental energy, basically, um, um, and, and feel satisfied, let's say, with, with what you're doing. That's, that's an interesting, interesting, interesting book. It's good, man. We'll, we'll definitely link those up in the show notes. If um, people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Oh, uh, just go to, um, I don't know, find me on LinkedIn maybe or, or the company website, sophies.com, S-O-F-E-A-S-T.com. And yeah, just send me an email, ra at sophies.com. Renault, thanks for being on the podcast. It's it's been good catching up. Hopefully, the next one is not three years away. <laughs> I should definitely do this more often because I last time was very like QC centric. I this time I really just wanted to pick your brain and and see what you've been doing and get mm-hmm. an idea of, of how this whole COVID nineteen situation has has affected you. But I would love to have another podcast where we talk more high level on on, on QC. Because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm I've learned way sure. more about QC now than than when we spoke mm-hmm. before. So that would that would be fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rico, and uh, let's do that soon. Then. All right. Enjoy your Friday night. I'll let you go. And uh, all right. Have a nice weekend. All right. Cheers. <laughs> if you guys want to reach out to me, that's a podcast at sourcefinancial.com. If you want to check out the show notes at the slash made in China, and I will see you guys next week. Cheers. Yo, I don't really like to, but um, yo, I don't really like to, but um, I put the smack down like it's rehab. Make sure that there's no relapse with these cats. Y'all cowards couldn't rap this dope with a zigzag. I let my lips drag, spitting with that big swag. It's sad, all these wannabes. Wanted to be Jay, then K West, wanna be star of the rock, kid you not Sean Connery, but like the rock, I'm surrounded by watery flow, still it really don't bother me. Fake ballers, weak game, less polish than Ben Wallace is while I breathe. Quality music getting quality spins. Y'all stay second rate, chingies at the quality end. Now that's a joke too.